I know there's great celebration today. <laughs> and it's hard to uh, get everybody to be on board. Um, so w we have, uh, we have uh, a short period of time together. What I want to do is quickly review what we talked about um, in, uh, in the first talk on this series and then jump into um, the heart of our talk today, which is going to be on intimacy intimacy within marriage. Um, so last time we uh, quickly reflected on the vestments of the bridegroom and the bride. We talked about the, the crown and the vestments. We talked about the crown uh, being a symbol of martyrdom. Uh, and that was an essential part of our talk in that uh, so much of the Christian life has to do with be dying and being reborn. Uh, that baptism is about dying and being reborn. Monasticism refers to dying and being reborn. Repentance is about dying and being reborn. And when we're referring to dying, uh, we're dying to everything that is not our true self, our true identity in Christ. So um, we talked about the sense of uh, martyrdom, about bo uh, bowing, uh, bowing one's ego, uh, in mutual love and humility to one's spouse. Um, and then we talked about the vestments that the husband and, uh, and wife are, um, in some sense, priests. Uh, they share in the ministry, in the ministry of the gospel. First, they proclaim the gospel to one another. And so um, if a wife, when the wife comes home and she's had a, a hard day at work and she says um, you know gosh I'm really struggling I'm frustrated I'm 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 stressed out there's so much negativity at work uh, what she encounters uh, is is um, um, a loving embrace uh, someone who's able to see her and we'll talk about this sense of seeing uh, this this person who proclaims the gospel to her who, who sees her her pain her hurt and says, gosh, like you've been really struggling through this. Um, I, I'd like for us to make a meal together and really take time to spend some time together and extends love and compassion to his wife. And, and throughout the whole encounter, who's witnessing this? Who's witnessing the proclamation of the gospel? It's the children. It's the children who are witnessing that in humanity there is a struggle, there's frailty, and it is, uh, it is embraced with love, with humility, with understanding, with compassion. And so the spouse is proclaiming the gospel uh, to their partner and also proclaiming the gospel to their children. And that's why we're, we're caped with the, with the robe that we have because we enter into this uh, glorious ministry and to generalize it more it's the Christian family that comes into our community that again proclaims the gospel to us and when they're uh, they leave the church and they're out in the community it is the Christian family again is the icon of Christianity I made a reference to this the first time we talked if we were to point to one icon to say what is Christianity it would be the Christian family um, 
So today, I want to talk about intimacy within marriage. And to do that, um, I want to talk about how we first encounter intimacy in life, which is through attachment. And so I'm going to refer to this word again. Later on, when we talk about uh, addiction, mental health disorders, difficulties within marriage, we're going to come back to this slide. So I would say if you want to follow the series, uh, this is going to be uh, incredibly important. Uh, and I can't emphasize how important this is. So I'm going to refer to uh, the work of Dr. Daniel Siegel, who's a professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine. Um, and he's done a lot of extensive work on attachment. In other words, how it is that we bond to people. Because how I bond to my wife and the way my wife bonds to me isn't new. <laughs> it's, it's embedded in our, the deepest core of who we are, and it all starts here. So I want to talk about the four S's of Daniel Siegel, and um, we're going to extract from it when we talk about parent-child bond, when we talk about intimacy and sexuality, when we talk about addiction. You know, someone uh, gets married to someone in the church and says, I just discovered that my husband is addicted to video games, or I discovered that my wife is addicted to shopping. She's a shopaholic and can't stop herself, you know? Uh, uh, it's going to come back to this slide. Um, or prescription pills, or, or pornography, or it's going to come back to this slide. Uh, so I can't emphasize the importance of this enough. Um, so I want to review with you the four S's of attachment, uh, out of which we understand intimacy. The four S's are seen, soothed, safe, secure. So um, what do we refer to when we uh, talk about being seen? Well, we know that uh, when a child is born, the caregiver, the mother and the fa or the father, will take the child and will do some eye gazing will look into the child's eye and gaze into the child's eye. And what's happening with that? Neural connections are happening. Um, the child is beginning to formulate a sense of um, otherness, that they are being seen, they're not alone in the world. That's, not, that's really, really important because just as a side note, when we talk about the consequence of sin, one of the greatest consequences of sin is isolation and loneliness. Not just death, but isolation and loneliness. It was Adam and Eve who were driven out of the Garden of Eden and to be on their own. That was one of the biggest tragedies. And that's why um, Christ, who is the second Adam, he always reminds us that he is present everywhere at all times this is really important for us um, so um, back to um, the gazing of the mother into the infant's eyes there's a deep attention given uh, to the child uh, to the child's emotional experience 
the mother or the father is noticing not just what the child is doing, but what they're experiencing. And being seen is, um, is the first encounter of otherness that is love. In some ways, again, we can say this is the first proclamation of the gospel, um, is that the mother is attentive to this child. Um, her nervous system is helping the child to soothe, to become calm. And so when they're dysregulated, uh, the mother will, will hold the child, put the child against her, her chest, and, and her, um, her heartbeat will sometimes become synchronized with the child's heartbeat. So if the child's uh, heartbeat is too active, it'll slow it down, and it'll help the child to soothe. So how is the child soothing? Through attachment, through a loving embrace, and through a mother who is uh, calm, who's centered, Hopefully she's full of prayer and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, to be seen is um, such, such a profound experience because you remember when uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was invited to Simon the Pharisee's house. And the woman came in and did what you know she did, wiped... Um, uh, flooded his, his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And when Simon had a whole bunch of judgment about what was happening, about the woman, about Jesus, about God, about it, he was full of judgment. The Lord only needed to say the first part of everything he said. He said to him, uh, Simon, do you see this woman? And what the Lord intended to say is, you see a whole bunch of labels and behaviors and what she did and what she doesn't do and religiosity, but do you see her as a person? This is where your sin is. And so the, I want to tie this to the gazing of the mother, is that the mother is seeing a gift from God, and there she gazes upon this child full of love, and full of compassion and full of peace and the child experiences this outflow of love and again this is the first proclamation of the divine gospel to the child so then the when the child is uh, at times dysregulated they're hungry they're they're frustrated um, uh, the mother soothes the child or the father will pick up the child, embrace the child, and again, with a calm nervous system, is rhythmically aligned with the mother so that there's a release of this feel-good chemicals of oxytocin and dopamine. And we'll come back to oxytocin uh, because that's really important. So... Um, this good feel chemical in the brain is released, oxytocin, both in the caregiver, the mother, father, and the child, and it helps them to bond, um, and they're soothed. When this happens with consistency, the child begins to feel that the world is safe. I could run around in the room, I could bump into things, hurt my head, and I cry, and I go to mommy, or I go to daddy, and they hug me, 
and hopefully they don't tell me what you did was terrible, but they just attend to my pain and they hug me and they love me and it feels, it feels safe. And the reoccurrence of the experience of safety then creates something which we call secure attachment, security. So what that means is I could wander the world, I could experience fear, I could get in trouble, but my nervous system won't become totally overwhelmed because I know that in my caregiver, I could experience uh, safety and stability and peace again. So there's this experience of reassurance, despite of being in an unsafe world, I will be accepted, I will be loved, and I will be protected by the one that I love. And this consistent experience of being soothed and feeling safe during stress leads to resilience. So we talk about a resilient children this, they're not born resilient. Resilient means that they experience some level of stress and they're able to be comforted, uh, soothed. And as a result of the reoccurrence of this experience, they begin to have a sense of resilience. When they see a challenge, they say, yeah, it's a challenge and I'll lean into it. I'll go forward with it. Well, where do you have this resilience from? Where do you have this sense of confidence from? Well, that's, that's my attachment experience. Now, if you're thinking, what does this have to do with marriage? My answer to you is everything, <laughs> everything. Um, <clears throat> so before we get into how this relates to the couple, um, let me uh, throw a wrench in the mix. So what happens if um, this attachment of being seen, sued, safe, and secure doesn't happen? It's more interrupted, and it's interrupted for good reason. Um, the, the caregiver, mom, dad, both, uh, they're highly stressed. They're highly irritable. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. The crying of the baby just makes them lose their mind. Um, I remember uh, as much as I adore and love my daughter at one point, I had to step outside of the house. I said, um, I'll be right back. Where are you going? Just right outside, <laughs> not going far. I just gotta step outside uh, and had to step outside of the house and just breathe and uh, not because of anything that my child was doing wrong or out of the ordinary. I just was not in a good place. And see, she's upset. <laughs> Uh, I was just not in a good place. And so um, sometimes the caregiver is in so much pain and is so preoccupied with things that they don't see their child. Did I have this? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So um, when the child becomes scared, frustrated, or expresses anger, the parent becomes frustrated, scared, angry, and so the, the, the child becomes dysregulated and the parents become even more dysregulated and they both just feed off of each other and it's just a really, really bad, bad place to be. Um, and so what ends up happening? Well, several things end up happening. If this happens again with the consistency, 
that we initially talked about. So every time my, my child comes to me, I'm irritated, I'm angry, I'm hostile, right? She learned this isn't where I'm going to be comforted. This isn't what's going to be soothing to me. So um, you, know how, you, you know how you could see this in a classroom if you're a teacher? So we have some teachers here. Any, any guesses how, how you see this attachment kind of wound in the classroom? Anyone want to take a guess? So two kids in the classroom, they bump into each other on accident, hitting their head. One child will go in the back of the classroom and just hold their head and sit alone, while the other one will go to Miss Johnson and say, Miss Johnson, I got a Nawi on my head. Because that kid knows, even though I don't know Miss Johnson very well, but she's an adult figure, and my life experience has told me that she will soothe me, she will comfort me, and she'll be a source of healing for my distress. That kid in the sitting in the corner, what he's learned is that adult attachment isn't safe, isn't comforting. So I have to either find a toy, escape into fantasy, which we'll talk about. Um, so I have to find a toy, escape into fantasy, do something to help, help soothe myself. Uh, because it's not coming from an adult figure. Um, so when the child becomes scared, frustrated, expresses anger, and the parent becomes equally those things, their nervous system is activated, and being around the parent only heightens the chi child's sense of threat. Um, so the child quickly learns that it's not comforting to turn to the caregiver, mom, dad, for comfort. And so they need to look at something outside of them to comfort them, to soothe them. So this is where uh, people begin to comfort themselves with food, either by overconsumption or restriction, alcohol and drugs, shopping, extreme sports where adrenaline is released, sex, where you get oxytocin. Remember we talked about oxytocin in the bond of the mom and child. Um, Risk-taking behavior, like um, driving fast, gambling. Uh, there's such a strong correlation that when you see people who are, uh, take a lot, of, uh, a lot of risks in life, like I, what I mentioned, gambling, um, just throwing a lot of money, uh, in, in stocks undiscerningly or, um, um, you know, the fast driving really, really sticks out to me. There's usually an attachment issue there, and it's usually done to, to regulate yourself. Um, Self-harm, which has been, uh, which has been a huge thing um, with adolescents and early adults, not just adolescents, but you hear a lot of people talk about cutting, burning. Um, the sad thing is you'll, when people really get into self-harm, they'll throw themselves in situations where, where they know they're at risk of some grave danger uh, happening to them in extreme cases. Like I, I, I had people say to me, like, I would meet with strangers in a hotel not knowing what would happen to me. And these would be young, young girls who would say that. Uh, and what is occurring to them that they need to do that? 
that they need to have this like uh, intense emotional experience just to feel alive. Um, so putting yourself in situations where you're likely to be harmed and then fantasy and fantasy addiction, which we'll get into. When people experience a lot of pain growing up, if they can't get mom and dad to stop and they can't leave the premise, they, they, uh, they, they escape to their mind, their fantasy. So there's, a, there's one special person that I've worked with in the past who um, had a, a, an entire world with different personalities, different characters, and this is, this is where this person would go for hours and hours and hours uh, and to the point where the person wanted to pull themselves out of that but really couldn't. So this person would spend hours and hours just into this fantasy land and what the characters are doing and where they're going and who does what to what, whom, and, and just spends life like this. Um, also, in addition to these things, uh, maybe the, they become um, clingy to kind strangers. So uh, if kids are growing up in a home where at times when they want to be self-soothed, they, they turn to mom and dad and mom and dad, they're too overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with their own life to, to, to adequately care for the child. The child can sometimes become clingy to um, uh, just compassionate, kind figures, which could be a good thing if, if they really are directed to kind figures and it could be a tragedy uh, if they're connected to predators. Um, <coughs> so, um, we've said a lot about uh, attachment in early childhood. What in the world does that have to do with uh, my relationship with my wife? So when you, um, you come to church, you meet someone at church, they seem like a good person, um, they pray so that they're religious, they're good people, you uh, love, fall in love, I suppose, and, and then you get married. Um, everybody has an attachment style. They have a way of bonding that's very particular to them. And um, uh, it doesn't always align. So if, um, if I was a child who went to my parents and sometimes they were receptive and helpful and many times they weren't, I might have more of an anxious attachment. And what that means is I'm constantly worrying so in my relationship, what that sounds like is if my wife is mad at me, I might say, you don't, I mean, you, you still love me, right? Like, you're not thinking about, like, leaving me or anything like that. Like, there is this insecurity that my, 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 my spouse is going to be overwhelmed with me not being adequate enough. And this is the anxious kind of attachment style. And avoiding attachment is... That kid in the back of the classroom, he grew up and he came to church and he figured out some fundamental things about church life but never really worked on himself and he got married. And when there's conflict, guess where he's going? Uh, away from his wife. 
If that's a little girl back there, when she gets upset, guess where she's going? Away from her husband. And the other spouse will say, why, we're trying to talk about this, why are you retreating? Like, why are you not engaging in this? Um, so there's a lot to go through, and I don't think we're going to have time. So I just want to finish maybe this slide. Try to keep the, the kids out, maybe lock them out or something. Um, so at least let's do those first two uh, attachment styles. So the anxious attachment style, that's the person who's um, constantly questioning things, questioning my, my own desirability. Is my spouse like in it with me? Can I trust them? Uh, because the imprint, the inner map that they're working from is a lot of inconsistencies. So they're constantly unsure. And when we talk about the avoidant one, this is the person who's learned to self-soothe by themselves. In many ways, I was like that as a, uh, as like a young adult in, the, in my 20s. Something was distressing, I'm gonna go in my room, I'm gonna close the door, and I'm gonna figure it out. But uh, I'm not going to an adult figure. Uh, this shifts, but took years to shift. But for, for the most time, this is what's comfortable, is the avoidant. And if you could spiritualize it, then you're in your room praying, reading, but you're getting comfort from God, but it, it's not going to be a, a human being, right? So um, does that cause marital problems? <laughs> yes, absolutely it does. Your spouse doesn't want you locked in a room by yourself. It doesn't matter if there are holy angels speaking to you. At some point, that person's going to say, you got to tell me what's going on here. This, this is not going to fly. Like, I need, to, I need to know what's happening. Uh, the anxious avoidant, this is a person who's like, I want love, I want intimacy, I want to connect with my spouse, uh, but I feel very comfortable, uncomfortable. I talk about stuff, she starts crying, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want out. <laughs> or, this happens a lot with females like females who are almost like taking on masculine traits. I can't imagine my husband crying in front of me. I get so uncomfortable. I, I don't know what to say. It's awkward. This is what they'll say. It's awkward. Um, that's more anxious avoidant. The disorganized, I think we'll spend some more time on it uh, maybe next time. But, um, but I think in order to move to a place, obviously, the, the direction where we want to move is to have a secure attachment, which means that um, I have this deep trust that if I don't show up as my best, that my spouse is going to love me, is not going to criticize me, is not going to judge me, is going to be this warm blanket who's going to be understanding, like, yeah, I see how you're struggling with this, I'm here for you. I want to be in it with you, and there's a lot of reassurance. That's how our marriage can redeem us, and even redeem us from our childhood trauma. Um, and that's how marriage can be such a profound and powerful experience if we, if we just tune in to these, uh, to these subtle things. So I think we'll stop here, and then we'll go through the rest of the slides uh, on the next time. Any, sorry, um, uh, any quick question, comment, really quickly? I think you may have had one.
Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, let's pray and. Oh.